you're listening to the Trinity Podcast. We are a multi-site church in the Chicago area whose mission is to help you look, live, and love more like Jesus. Well, good morning, Trinity. Oh man, guys, you're the 10 o'clock. We've had like, we've had a couple of hours to wake up. Good morning. There we go. Happy New Year to you all. Welcome uh, again to Trinity. Um, before we dive into our message this morning, I think it's only right that we allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message that he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray together with me? Lord God, we give you thanks that uh, as we begin a new year, we have this opportunity here now to begin in your word. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us open hearts and minds to receive the message that you have for us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So uh, as we come into a new year, I'm thinking a lot about transitions. I'm thinking a lot about milestones. Because I think that in, when, when we encounter those seasons in life, whether they're baptisms or weddings, birthdays or New Year's, there are these opportunities to slow down and to really stop and think about, how did I get here? Where am I going? What, what's next? And, and so on and so forth. And this year, 2024, is an especially important milestone for me because today I turn 40. So... Now, what that means is that every year I become a little bit more senior pastor. That's, that's what that means. But really, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about, about uh, turning 40. I'm excited about entering into this next season of life. And, and there's a lot of people who've been asking me, so what does that mean for you? What's next? What is it that you desire to do? Because like so many, we, we enter these moments, these seasons, and we start to ask those deeper questions. It's part of the reason why I love New Year's. Because New Year's is a chance to actually look back at the past year and see and celebrate what God has done, but also look forward to what's coming. But one of the things that I've, I've noticed is that more and more uh, researchers are finding that when it comes to New Year's, there are fewer and fewer Americans actually making New Year's resolutions. That many people now, when I ask them, hey, what resolutions do you have for New Year's? Like, oh, I haven't really thought about it, or I'm not, I'm not really into making resolutions anymore. It's almost as though on the one hand, we, we know that this is a pivotal moment. We can look back, we can look forward. On the other hand, we're almost kind of burned out. The, uh, the reason it seems that we're giving up on resolutions is because we feel like we, we try them every year and they don't stick, they don't last. And I think the reason why is because we're disconnected from something deeper. That, that if we really desire change and, transi- and, and transformation in our life, it requires a lot more than just systems and programs. I think the reason people give up on resolutions is because honestly, they get tired of trying to change on their own power and their own steam. It really gets at something that uh, the leadership consultant Michael Hyatt once said. He said that people lose their way when they lose their why. His point is, you're never going to see lasting change in your life unless you are connected to something deeper. Unless you have a more foundational why for what it is you're trying to pursue. Those systems, those new habits, whether it's a diet plan, exercise routine, new hobby, they just won't stick. 
And so that's really the question that I've been wrestling with as I've been, uh, you know, now celebrating my, my 40th birthday is what is that deeper why which continues to, to move me forward? Maybe it's a question you're asking yourself. What is my deeper why? Why am I here? And honestly, uh, the other night, you know, we were spending some time with some friends and one of my friends asked me kind of a deeper why question. He said, um, he said if, what is the equation of your life? And honestly, I went back to something that I remember in seminary. It was a quote from John the Baptist where he says, I must decrease and he must increase. That's the equation. If people are asking me, what is it that you're looking forward to in this next season? Honestly, it's it's the thing that I really has been my heartbeat since I, since I came to faith at the age of 18. And that's that I would know Jesus more and become more like him. That's my hope in this new season is that I would continue each and every year, I would know Jesus more and become more like him. And you might be like, well, that's not surprising. You're a pastor and the mission statement of your church is look, live, and love more like Jesus. I mean, come on. So you're supposed to do that. But here's, here's what I want to argue. I would actually argue that knowing Jesus and becoming more like him is perhaps the best, most compelling why that anyone could have. That this is a kind of why that each one of us should long for and pursue. And the reason why is really brought home by a, a quote that I remember reading many years ago. It was one of these quotes that kind of just stuck in my mind and has continued to move me forward. It was actually a quote that was written by somebody who themselves didn't consider themselves very religious. It was H.G. Wells, and as he was writing his own little uh, history of the world, he wrote this really fascinating paragraph. Here's what he says. He says, I'm a historian, I'm not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. The doctrine of the kingdom of heaven, which was the main teaching of Jesus, is certainly one of the most revolutionary doctrines that ever stirred and changed human thought. All four gospels agree in giving us a picture of a very definite definite personality. One is obliged to say, here was a man, this could not have been invented. Is it any wonder that to this day, this Galilean is too much for our small hearts. A man who himself didn't consider himself religious said, I can't get around Jesus. That when I think of a life of meaning, of impact, of lasting significance and purpose, you can do no better than looking at Jesus. Because by the world's standards, he should not have had the kind of significance that he had. Nothing but a penniless carpenter in the armpit of the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. And yet he, more than any other person in all of human history, has shaped the entire world, the very trajectory of human life. And so even if you consider yourself a skeptic, if you long for a life of purpose and meaning, I would argue you can do no better than looking at Jesus. That knowing him and becoming more like him is the most compelling why you could ever adopt. And so that's really why we're doing this series. This series is a series in which we as a church are going to take the next five weeks to simply sit at the feet of Christ. To sit at his feet and to ask, how is it that he would have us do life? Because one of the things that Jesus tells us in John 10.10 is he says, the reason that I've come is that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
And because we desire to know him more and become more like him, we want to sit at his feet and say, how did he do it? What is the life that he invites us into? And so we're looking at these five habits for life. We're going to be looking at five different areas of life that Jesus has things to say, things to teach us. But what I want to argue this morning in kind of this opening weekend is that life in Christ is only happens when we realize our need and we receive what he provides. It only happens when we realize our need and receive what he provides. So if you have your Bibles or you want to queue it up on your phone, uh, I would like you to join me in Matthew chapter 11. Because in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus tells us that if you really desire change and transformation, it, it begins by realizing your need. Here's what Jesus says as he's talking to his disciples. He says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. One of the things that I think we need to understand as modern people is that I think we tend to put our modern assumptions onto this text. And here's what I mean. We hear Jesus say, oh, I, I praise you, God, that you've revealed it to little children. We're like, of course, little children. They're so cute and they're so innocent. And, and of course, Jesus wants us to be humble and innocent like little kids. But that's like our modern understanding. We have to get back into the ancient understanding because in the ancient world, when Jesus talks about little children, what he's really saying is he's like, Lord, I praise you that you've chosen to reveal this to those who are not only utterly helpless, but also utterly useless. Here's why I say that. In the ancient world, the very central economic unit of every society was the household. And what that means is that until kids grew and could start contributing to the household economy, they were a liability. Not only were they wholly dependent upon their parents, but they were doing very little to contribute to the well-being of the entire household. Now, it doesn't mean that parents didn't love their kids. They did. They did love their kids. But at the same time, those kids were another mouth to feed until they grew up and actually could start bringing of something of worth and something of value into the household economy. So when Jesus says, Father, I thank you that you have revealed these things, not to the wise and learned, but to little children, saying, I thank you that you have revealed these things only to the, the wholly dependent and wholly useless. He says, if you really want to begin to experience life in the kingdom, you need to recognize that that's you. See, when we understand that, we start to see why, like, when the disciples, you know, when people were bringing their kids to Jesus to be blessed, the disciples were like, he doesn't have time for that. Not, not for those useless ones. There's more important things to focus on. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. The kingdom is for them and for people who are just like them. And if we want to experience full life in Christ, it starts by recognizing our desperate need for him. And, and that may seem kind of like a shock, and that may even seem harsh to us, but I want us to think about this. I think that we intuitively know this. Here's what I mean. Consider perhaps one of the greatest rehabilitation programs in the world, Alcoholics Anonymous. Do you guys know what the first of the 12 steps in Alcoholics Anonymous is? The first of the 12 steps is this. We have admitted that we are powerless. We've admitted that we are powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unpowerful. Un 
manageable. Nearly half of the 12 steps involve admitting that we are woefully inadequate to change ourselves and acknowledging our desperate need for something outside of us to bring transformation. I think the very fact that we wrestle with things like New Year's resolutions proves that point. On the one hand, we want to make a resolution because we know that our lives aren't the way that they're supposed to be. And yet we get discouraged because we can't seem to change. Sometimes the thing that, very, that drives us to desire a change in our lives is ourselves, our own patterns, our own habits, our own addictions, our own pride and self-centeredness leads us into the very problems we find ourselves facing. We know we need transformation, but we don't know where to begin. And Jesus says, but if you understand that, that you are powerless, that you are useless, that you have nothing of value to contribute, now you're finally ready. Now you're finally ready to receive what only I can give you. No wonder some of the biggest opponents of Jesus were the religious people in his day, the morally upright, the righteous. They were the ones who, who struggled with his teaching about the kingdom. Why? Because they thought that they had something to contribute. They said, we're the righteous ones, we're the upright ones, we've figured this whole God thing out. And the reality was, is that while on the surface that, that seems true, deep down they were still operating out of their own selfishness. They used their outward performance as a cover for their inner need, and they were blind to what God wanted to give them. Jesus said, there's no room in you for what I want to give. You can't put new wine into old wineskins. You can't sew new cloth onto old cloth. There's just no space in your hearts for what I desire to give because you think you have something to offer. And what Jesus says, he says, if you really want to grow in life and in faith, you need to recognize your need. I actually love how the pastor and author, Dane Ortland puts it in his book, Deeper. Here's what he says. He says, the point in all this is that we must come face to face with who we really are left to our own steam. Christian salvation is not assistance. It is rescue. The gospel does not take our good and complete us with God's help. The gospel tells us that we are dead and helpless, unable to contribute to anything, anything to our rescue but the sin that requires it. Christian salvation is not enhancing, it's resurrecting. It's part of the reason why the first word that Jesus ever speaks the moment he begins to preach is repent. To repent is simply to, to stop going one way and to go another direction. He says you have to recognize that the way that you're going, the way that you're living is broken. And what you desperately need is new life. But there will be no space in you until you come to the end of yourself. We need to realize our need. Because once we do, we're finally able to receive all that Jesus provides. Because that's the very next thing that he goes to. He says, all these things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Jesus says you have to start by coming to him. We have to start by coming to him. He says if you desire change and transformation in your life, it's not about getting a new program. It's not about becoming more proficient in a new set of skills. It's about going deeper in a relationship. Going deeper into a relationship with Jesus. Depending on him for absolutely everything. He says, I want you to learn from me, receive from me what only I can give you. Because when you do, you will experience real rest. When you do, you will be learning the way life is always meant to be lived. But it only comes as an outflow of what I give. Again, let's go back to AA for a second. You know what the second and third steps and the 12 steps are? We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. <laughs> a recognition, right? That, that I, we, need, we need him and only what he can provide. That's the only way we're going to experience real life, real sustained transformation is when we're connected to a deeper and a better why, when we receive what God desires to give us. And over and over again, this is actually what characterizes all of Jesus' teaching. What does he say? He says, I want you to serve one another as I have served you. I want you to give generously. Why? Because my Father in heaven knows you and provides for your needs. I want you to love as I have loved you. Over and over and over again, every time Jesus issues a command, where does it flow from? Only connection to him. Only being sustained by him and what he gives. Realizing that we have nothing to offer, that before God, we, we are broken, sinful people, and yet his love fills us with everything we require. Unless we doubt it, we go to the last command that Jesus ever issued in his earthly ministry. We find it in the Great Commission, right? Famous words. I don't know, a single missions organization that doesn't quote them. It says what? Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to uh, obey everything that I've commanded you. Now, if the disciples were supposed to do that on their own steam, there is no way. We're talking about 12 illiterate dudes who have no education who were just told by Jesus to go change the world. How far do you think they're going to get? Not very far. And sadly, I think we read the commission and we miss the provision. Because we need to read the whole thing. Before he gives them the commission, he gives them provision. Listen to what he says. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, I have all power. This world-changing calling is too big for you, but it's okay because I have power. It's my power. My authority, which flows through you. Then he moves to purpose. He says, yes, baptize them and teach them to do what? Everything that I've commanded you. He says, everything that I've taught you, that's all I'm asking you to teach them. Nothing more, nothing less. What you've already seen and learned from me, that's what you pass on. That's your purpose. That's your calling. And then he ends it with presence. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says, you don't go by yourself. I am with you. Power, purpose, presence. 
He gives us his power so that in those moments when we are weak, we lean on him. He gives us purpose so that in those moments when we're tempted to go astray, his voice leads us back to his paths and his ways. He gives us presence so in those moments when we feel like we're alone and overwhelmed, we know that he is there and will never let us go. Power, purpose, presence, all given and flowing from him. That's the only way that the disciples would be able to do their mission. And yet, what happened? The church spread. The gospel went forward. Why? Not because of what they had, but because everything that they did flowed from what he provided. If we desire to see change and transformation in our lives, in our communities, in our work, it starts here by coming to the end of ourselves that we might receive all that he has to give. It's a relationship, not a program. Makes me think of one of my favorite book series to read to my kids. It's the Chronicles of Narnia. If you've not read the Chronicles of Narnia, it's this series of books about these four children who are swept up into this this amazing world called Narnia. This this beautiful uh, uh, realm in which they're, they're called not just to be children, but to be kings and queens. And they go on these incredible adventures. But at the center of every single story is Aslan, the lion, the great king. He is the one who, who calls them on to these adventures. He's the one who sustains them. And in probably one of my favorite moments in one of the books, Prince Caspian, what we see is that the children are back in Narnia and things are not going well. And they're doing their best to kind of fight the battles and solve the problems. And they just can't seem to do it until finally the youngest child, Lucy, as she's walking through the woods, she encounters Aslan once more. And she runs up to him and she hugs him and she says, Aslan, you're bigger. And he says, it's because you're older. And she's like, not because you're older. He's like, I'm not. But every year you grow, I become larger. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus says. He says, the more you come to the end of yourself, the more you will see just how big my love and my power and my presence and my purposes are. The more you lay everything down, the more you will see how high and deep and wide and long is my love for you. The more you admit your need, the more you see how I am capable and powerful to provide everything that you require. That's what Christian growth ultimately is, is it's going back to Jesus over and over and over again, because as we do, he gets larger. He gets bigger. His grace becomes more beautiful, his love more overwhelming, his purposes more awe-inspiring, his power more incredible. And his promise is, he says, every time you do that, you will see just how faithful I am. All authority has been given to me, and I go with you always to the very end of the age. This is where it starts. Life with Jesus starts by coming to an end of ourselves that we might experience a new beginning with him. And that's why we're doing this series. You know, honestly, we struggled with what to call this series. Our church has five values. We can call it five values, but there are things that we're supposed to put into practice so we're like, and, and put into practice regularly. So we're like, ah, five habits. But really, honestly, the way I would think about this is five invitations. Five invitations to look at every area of your life and ask, what does it mean to come to the end of myself and to receive what God has for me in that area of my life? 
to experience his goodness and his provision and all that he desires to give. And so over these next weeks, we invite you to join us in that journey of each week coming back to Jesus, seeing just how high and deep and wide and long is his love, to watch as he becomes bigger, as we become less. As we might become less, that he might be more. And so as you leave later today, you're actually going to get, I'm wearing this little wristband that has these like five little icons on it. And I want to invite you to take one with you and to wear it as a daily reminder to lay what you have before him and experience what he only he can give. And that's part of the reason why I want to draw this message to a close, but start us off in this series in a word of prayer. Would you join me as we pray together? Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that though we have nothing, you are Lord of everything. That when we come to the end of ourselves, we ultimately find you. And what we see is that you are more. You are greater. That in you, we receive immeasurably more than we could possibly ask or imagine. That where we are weak, you are strong. Where we go astray, you call us back to your purposes. Where we feel alone and afraid, your presence is there. And my prayer for us is that we would go deeper in that relationship with you. That daily we would hear your invitation to lay down everything. That with open hands we might receive all that you desire to give. That each day, is an experience of knowing you more and becoming more like you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Trinity Podcast. We hope this week's message encouraged you to consider the claims of Jesus in a new way, and we would love to have you join us for worship on the weekend. To find a location near you, visit www.tlc4u.org.